morning. Uh, we are continuing on in the book of Revelation. Uh, we have a, a rather large chunk, uh, most of chapter 8 and all of chapter 9 that we're going to cover today. Uh, so I'm going to read that, but first I, I just want to mention a bit about how uh, Revelation works. Uh, you're going to read it, and some people are going to be prone uh, to scientifically read it, in that they're going to break it down and, and try to master every detail. Uh, but what Revelation is after is more visceral. It, it's something you're going to feel in your gut. It's poetic. It's prophetic. It has imagery and symbols uh, that is supposed to uh, give an overall effect to us. Uh, so if you try to break down all the little pieces into separate units, uh, you probably won't get the right meaning. So as I read this, uh, we're going to read it through, and then we're going to break down uh, into smaller pieces and talk about uh, kind of what the big picture is behind this. Uh, I want you to uh, take in the imagery. It's more like uh, look going to an art museum and checking out the artwork. Uh, most of us aren't very good at that because <laughs> we go, hmm. I like to stroke my chin when I go to the art museum and go, hmm, really speaks to me about the human condition and say things like that. I don't know what I'm talking about, but uh, a lot of us uh, aren't necessarily artists. If you are, you, you might understand that a little bit more. Uh, but what, what's going on here uh, is supposed to impact you viscerally. It's supposed to communicate this, this message. So uh, I'm going to read this to you. Uh, and uh, just kind of uh, take it uh, as it goes. Uh, Revelation chapter 8, starting in verse 6. Now the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. The first angel blew his trumpet, and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood, and those, went, those were thrown upon the earth, and a third of the earth was burned up. And the third of the trees were burned up, and all green grass was burned up. Second angel blew his trumpet, and something like a great mountain, burning with fire, was thrown into the sea. And a third of the sea became blood, a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. The third angel blew his trumpet, and a great star fell from heaven, blazing like a torch. And it, it fell on a third of the rivers and on, a, on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. Wormwood. A third of the waters became wormwood, and many people died from the water because they had become, been made bitter. The fourth angel blew his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of their light might be darkened, and a third of the day might be kept from shining, likewise a third of the night. Then I looked and heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead. Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blast of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. And the fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth, and he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. He opened the shaft of the bottomless pit, and from the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air was darkened with the smoke from the shaft. Then from the smoke came locusts on the earth, and they were given power like power of scorpions of the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or tree, but only those who people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. 
They were allowed to torment them for five months, but not to kill them. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings someone. And in those days, people will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. In appearance, the locusts were like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were, were what looked like crowns of gold. Their faces were like human faces, their hair like women's hair, and their teeth like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots with horses running into battle. They have tails and stings like scorpions, and their power to hurt people for five months is in their tails. They have as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek he is called Apollyon. They mean, those two words mean destruction and destroyer. Uh, verse 12, the first woe has passed. Behold, two woes are still to come. Uh, then the sixth angel blew his trumpet, and I heard a voice from the four horns, the golden altar before God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour, the day, the month, the year, was released to kill a third of mankind. Number of mounted troops was twice 10,000 times 10,000. I heard their number, and this is how I saw the horses in my vision and those who rolled them. They, they wore breastplates, the color of fire and of sapphire and of sulfur, and the heads of the horses were like lion's heads. The fire and smoke and sulfur came out of their mouths. By these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed. By the fire and smoke and sulfur coming out of their mouths, for the power of the horses is in their mouth and in their tails. For their tails are like serpents with heads, and by means of them they wound. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot see or hear or walk. Nor did they repent of their murders, or their sorceries, or their sexual immorality, or their thefts. Pretty intense. It, it's visceral. There's all these images that are startling, maybe a little scary. And that's the feeling you're supposed to get from it. If you think back uh, a few weeks ago, we covered uh, the seven seals. What's going to happen in the book of Revelation is there are going to be seven seal judgments. Uh, if you remember the seal judgments, there were four, the four horses of the apocalypse. Uh, they came, we mentioned that they were cyclical. Uh, the book of Revelation is cyclical in that it takes you through the, the entire history from when Christ rose to his second coming. His second coming happens, and then it kind of rewinds and goes back. So what we have here is, again, uh, covering the same period of time as the seals. The trumpets are announcing uh, these judgments in various ways. Uh, these are cyclical in nature in that the judgments here are not necessarily datable. You can't point it to a particular event. Uh, in different times, uh, people have tried. Uh, the difficulty with that is uh, usually the passage of time proves you wrong, and you can't keep doing that. So there's certain things in here people have said, oh, that's, that's Chernobyl, or that's the Russians, or that's Chi the Chinese. And it never seems to work. Like, you can't pit it together because that's not how it's supposed to function. 
it's not how it's supposed to work. It's going to represent history from the ascension of Christ to the judgment day. And it's supposed to communicate uh, something in symbol and in picture. So let's start working through that. The first trumpet talks about hail, talks about fire, talks, talks about the vegetation being burned up. A third of the earth was burned and a third of the trees. You're going to find through this whole passage, and you probably noticed this as we were reading through it, that it keeps saying a third. A third of this was destroyed, a third of this, a third of this. That is communicating not that it's exactly a third, but that it's a partial judgment. Final judgment hasn't come. So with each trumpet blast, we are moving closer to judgment day. When the final trump shall sound, when final judgment happens. So each marks a step closer to the judgment. So what is that? The hail and fire mixed with blood, the burning up of the earth and vegetation being. You have pictures of, you think back to the Exodus. One of the plagues in the Exodus was hail. This is a plague like that. Uh, you think in our world uh, of storm and of fire, what happens when all the land is burned up? It creates famine. It creates death. Could point to spiritual famine as well. So you have this one. And notice it impacts the earth. You're going to see it it's going to judge different categories of our world. So if you think back to the creation account, God created the land, God created the sea, God created sun, moon, and stars. And what happens in the judgments is each of those areas are going to be impacted. Each of those areas are going to be decreated in a sense because they're being judged and we're moving towards new creation. So always think about that when you're working through Revelation. Judgment is a path that leads to new creation. We are uncomfortable with judgment. You may be uncomfortable with this passage. I know when I first read it, I'm like, that, that seems pretty intense. I don't know how people are going to respond to this passage. But we need to know that judgment is required for salvation to come. For God to set things right, for God to bring in his kingdom, he must judge the earth. We'll get into why the world needs to be judged as we go. The second trumpet, a second angel blew, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea. A third of the sea became blood, a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. Once again, this is going to make us remind us of the exodus. The sea turns to blood. In this imagery, uh, if we aren't familiar with the Old Testament, may seem odd to us, but often the Old Testament talks about mountains being thrown into the sea. And when it talks about a mountain being thrown into the sea, it is often speaking of nations, of cities, of Babylon, of, of judgment happening to human institutions, to their governments, to their nations, to their cities. So it could be an image of that as it's pulling from the Old Testament. It's pulling from the plagues in Egypt. Around this time, Mount Vesuvius erupted. And when you read that, you can almost picture 
how they might feel. That's kind of volcanic in its nature. Destroyed Pompeii. In the water that surrounded, many of the fish died in there. So while it's not, that's not a fulfillment, it is an image that is saying there are these earth-shattering things that are coming. The third trumpet, the third angel blew his trumpet and a great star fell from heaven. When you hear about great stars falling from heaven, usually that's going to be an angel. Uh, you see that in chapter 1, you're going to see that in chapter 9, but an angel, it says, a great star fell from heaven, blazing like a torch, and it fell on the third of the rivers on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood, a third of the waters became Wormwood, and many people died from the water because it had been made bitter. Again, multiple things going on. Sometimes people are going to read that and say, oh, it's a meteor or an asteroid that hits a third of of the streams, which creates a problem uh, if you're trying to read that scientifically, that somehow it hits and then a third of the streams of the earth are impacted. Uh, it's actually pulling on all sorts of imagery from the Old Testament. Again, uh, it talks about the waters being made bitter. It talks about wormwood. If you look back, it's in Jeremiah. In the book of Jeremiah, God says, you have polluted my land with idols. You have polluted my land with false gods. So what I'm going to do is pollute your water with wormwood. Your water is going to become bitter. So it speaks to the bitterness that comes from a world that pursues idols. From a world that worships God, worship gods other than the true God. Now it may speak to also in our world of waters that are actually polluted. Again, these images aren't exact. They speak and express these feelings. Uh, Twelve, the fourth angel blew his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of their light might be darkened. Again, you're like, whoa, that is intense. And again, it's speaking with symbol and imagery. And if we would dig back into the Old Testament, we would see many times where the prophets say, the sun is going to be darkened, the moon, and they will be talking about a, a historical event that has already passed for us. They're talking about earth-shattering events. Now, when we say there's an earth-shattering event, we don't literally mean the earth was shattered. We mean things are changing dramatically. And we look back at the plagues in the Exodus. One of the plagues was darkness. And this is pulling from that image that there is darkness in our world. Don't, don't we use that language ourselves? Sometimes you've been watching the news. Or sometimes you're talking to someone and you're like, man, it's getting dark out there. You don't mean it's literally getting dark. But spiritual darkness impacts us deeply. This is talking about things shaking, uh, our world being undone. And we can take this in a number of ways, but the message that's being communicated is with each trumpet blow, judgment is coming. Calamities are happening. They don't happen outside of God's control. God is allowing calamities to come. See, we follow idols in our world. We don't worship the true God. And what happens when our world, created by God, 
We're created to be image bearers of God, to follow him. What happens when we don't follow him? Calamities come. Both natural disasters, political, social, all these things come undone. And what we have is destruction. We have earth-shattering things that happen. We have bitterness. We have darkness. And then an eagle cries out this woe in verse 13. Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth as the blast of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. So there are seven total trumpets. This, this morning we're going to look at six because there's a couple chapter break and then the seventh one is blown. The seventh represents kingdom come. Our prayers are your kingdom come and eventually they will as these preliminary judgments uh, complete. Chapter 9 is where it gets really crazy. You may have noticed that when I was reading it, where you're like, what? Like, am I on something right now? Because the, the imagery here is really psychedelic, you might say. It's really crazy. Uh, it's reminiscent of something from Dungeons and Dragons, I suppose. I don't know anything about that, but that's the kind of feel you get. So nine, so you've had these first four trumpet judgments, and then nine uh, gives us the fifth trumpet. And basically what happens is a star falls from the sky, which is, represents an angel, opens up the bottomless pit, or some interpretations say the abyss. It's opened up, and smoke comes out of the abyss, and out of it comes demonic locusts, basically. Again, you draw back to the Exodus, what is one of the plagues? Locusts. Now, this isn't talking about ordinary locusts. It's like a demonic locust pitcher spreading across our world. And it says a number of things. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree, but only those people who they do, do not have the seal of God on their forehead. Those are people who have not been ransomed by Christ. Those are people who do not believe in Christ. So when they have fall, followed idols, the plague of the locusts impact them. Verse 5. Oh, already did. 6. No, 5. Uh, they were allowed to torment them for five months. Uh, five months is symbolic of for a period of time, but not a total period of time uh they tormented but not to kill them and their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings someone i've never been stung but i imagine it hurts and in those days people will seek death and will not find it they will long to die but death will flee from them uh some people uh try to guess what this is is this something that will harm people, and even if they try to kill themselves, it won't work. Uh, I've watched end times movies that talk about people trying to kill themselves, but because they have whatever impacted them by this locust, they were not able to kill themselves. Uh, I do not think that's how we should read this. Notice it torment. The word torment speaks of internal torment, of psychological and spiritual. So what's being said here is that what this judgment is demonic in nature and it impacts the world mentally and spiritually 
and psychologically. We don't have to go far in our world to see people mentally anguished, people in pain, that they want death, but they're scared to take their life because of what death means. They don't know what's on the other side. So it speaks powerfully of our world, the mental anguish, the spiritual difficulties. Then I want to read this next section. Uh, and this is like a key section where people, I believe, have misinterpreted and read Revelation incorrectly. So uh, 7 talks about the appearances of these demonic locusts. An appearance of the locusts were like horses prepared for battle on their heads, Again, try to picture all this. It's going to pile metaphor on top of metaphor. It was like this. It was like that. And picture after picture. And it's going to intentionally pile it on to give you a feeling about what this thing is like. So on their heads were like what looked like crowns of gold. Their faces were like human faces. Their hair like women's hair. And their teeth like lion's teeth. Obviously, this thing is ferocious. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots with horses rushing into battle. They have tails and stings like scorpions, and their power to hurt people for five months is in their tails. They have as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit. Okay, so it described all those images. I'm going to show you a picture that will give us some insight. So... Uh, this is a helicopter, and this is a common interpretation of what we find in this passage. You see, uh, the helicopter is like the sound of a horse-drawn chariot. You're like, maybe, maybe they're onto something. That helicopter has teeth like a lion. There's a guy in it, so it has a face of a man. Crown of gold. I guess there's some gold up there. Uh, breastplates of iron tail of a scorpion and you're maybe they're onto something maybe john had this vision and he's like i don't know what a helicopter is so he explains in all this this leaves out uh hair like a woman so i don't know the maybe maybe the woman in the helicopter is what's going on there but this is a common interpretation. And here's one of the problems with that. Before the creation of the helicopter, could you interpret this passage correctly? No. Like, you would read the passage, and then we finally got to our day when we go, well, now we know what that was. That was a helicopter. And it would have no meaning for the original hearers. So you're not supposed to picture something else other than what's said here. The imagery it gives is supposed to be terrifying. It's supposed to represent the intensity of it, the, the destruction of it. So we don't want to read into these passages and say, oh, this is something from modern day. Uh, it's intended to be an image. It's a symbolic, apocalyptic message. And it represents demonic locusts. You may never see a demonic locust, but this passage is saying they're at work in our world. Like the image is not that they're literal locusts, but you, 
imagine a locust invasion like clouds of locusts coming. That's the image in the spiritual realm of what is happening in our world. And it's terrifying. And it's what happens when people go after idols that they find themselves mentally and spiritually and psychologically anguished in the spiritual realm, and they're impacted. We see this in so many ways. We can think of so many people who, because of the lives they live, whether it be by addiction or else, or by the choices they make, that they find themselves hurt. We have so many people in our city who are destroyed mentally and psychologically because of the lives that the way people have treated them because of the lives they have chosen and that it's attacking our world, it says. But it comes by the judgment of God. When we choose to go away from God, this is what happens. And then finally, the sixth angel blew his trumpet. And it says there were four angels. These are obviously evil angels who are bound at the river Euphrates, and they were released at a particular time to kill a third. And then it says there is an army basically that no one can number. It says the number of mounted troops was twice 10,000 times 10,000. Obviously, most numbers, symbolic, but it's a whole lot of troops. And sometimes people come in and say, oh, this has to be China because there's the most people in China. But this is not, it is saying that there is going to be death. Death is going to keep coming for humanity while we walk away from the true God and follow idols instead. And the people will die by deception by, by military force, by all sorts of ways. And then verse 20, uh, we've gotten through the six judgments there. Verse 20 says, The rest of my mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot see or hear or walk. Nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts which is kind of the heartbreaking answer to this section, that plagues come, calamities strike our world. There is all sorts of anguish and torment and awfulness out there, and yet people do not repent. Twofold, they don't repent of the works of their hands, and secondly, they do not give up worshiping idols. Notice what it says. They did not give up worshiping demons and idols of gold. So what this passage is going to do for us, other than give us a very serious morning and reality of God's judgment on our world, is it's going to give us a way to diagnose what's going on with our world. So you look out at our world and you see social, political, you see people's personal problems. Sometimes that's all our world sees. Our world only sees the social issues, the political issues. Maybe someone's just got some personal hang-ups. But behind every social, political, and personal issue, there is a spiritual problem. 
there is idol worship. It's at the heart of humanity that we don't worship the true God, we worship under other things. Now we think we're probably we've we've moved on from that because we don't bow down to idols literally. We don't have those. We don't have a shrine. Uh, none of you are probably hiding an idol shrine in your home. But we are just as idolatrous as people who have literal idols in their homes. Our idols can be money, sex, power. Our idols can be success. Our idols can be people-pleasing there are any number of things that we can have as idols. They can be good gifts from God, but we misuse them. And that's what this passage is saying. It's saying behind all of what's going on in our world, the calamities that strike, there is idol worship going on behind it. That the main problem with our world is that we do not worship God. We do not worship Jesus. We worship idols. And when you worship idols, things fall apart. I want you to think about your own life for a moment. When you worship something other than God, when you put your hope in something other than him, uh, how quickly do things fall apart? I have some guiding questions for you to think about idolatry. Sometimes we're like, hey, you're your own God. Or this is your God. And we're like, how do we think about that? Because we don't worship idols. So here's some guiding questions to help you think about how you might still worship idols at times. So idols are whatever you are greedy for. It's whatever you over-desire. What, so question to you is, what are you greedy for? It might be money. It might be sex, it might be power, it might be control, it might be success. could be any number of things. What will you do anything for? So what is your greatest value that you will defy your moral compass, you could say? You'll defy your treatment of other people in order to get that. And we do this in a number of ways. Uh, Emotions are a good way for us to tap into what are our idols. So here's a few questions. When angry, what aren't you getting that you want? So if you just have this anger. Now, there, there's righteous anger. Don't get me wrong. But a lot of times our anger ain't so righteous. So when angry, what aren't you getting that you want? Or when you're anxious, what is being threatened in your life that causes your anxiety? When despondent, like when you lose hope and you're just, what have you lost or failed at? What has slipped through your fingers? What have you failed? How would you finish this sentence? I'd be happy if only I had da-da-da this that these are good ways for us to think about what our idols are. What are our greatest hopes? What do we look to for meaning and value? What sets off these emotions of despondency, of anxiety, of anger? 
and it helps us look out at the problems in our world. It doesn't just help you diagnose for yourself, but look out in the world, why are the social and political things happening? You can look at politics, and it's pretty easy. It's usually money and power. That's who runs the show. So when we look at our world, our world is run by demonic idols. That's just a fact. That's just the way our world is. That's how this passage describes our world, that it's run by demonic idols, that there are things other than God that run what's going on here. The big picture in this passage is of an exodus. So we touched on a few points where the plagues keep coming. If you think back to the exodus passage in the book of Exodus, uh, you have Israelites in captivity and in slavery. And then you have God coming and giving out ten plagues. And each of those keep on coming. And they're preludes to them being delivered from captivity and brought into the promised land. That's what's going on in this passage. So our world as a whole is in captivity to demonic idols. Instead of worshiping the true God, we worship lesser gods. Instead of worshiping the true gods, it says we worship demons. And so, God is sending calamities, sending difficulties into our world, shaking our foundations, showing us that these idols are not true gods. Because that's what happens in the Exodus. Each of those plagues hit an Egyptian god. Each of those plagues in the Exodus prove that God is superior to all of our idols, to all of the Egyptian idols. So these plagues in this passage, it keeps drawing on the Exodus, are saying that the true God, Jesus, the lamb who is on the throne, is superior to all idols. All the things that we would find our identity in, our hope in, it is God who is superior to to all those. It is God that we would find our fulfillment in. It is God himself that we would find our hope in. We would find our identity in. And what happens in the Exodus is the Pharaoh's heart is hardened. It's not necessarily to get Pharaoh to give in. Each plague comes and God hardens the Pharaoh's heart. And he's saying, this is the path you have chosen. And and sadly, that's how it works often in our world, that calamities come, and we think maybe this will wake people up, and they are determined to continue in their idolatry. I have someone who was close to me. They were heading down a destructive road, and they had an intense moment where I thought, this is clearly where your road has left to destruction and pain and anguish. And surely now you will come to your senses and turn to Christ. But that did not happen. And it breaks my heart. That calamities come in our world collectively. We all know people like that, don't we? We go, you're heading down this trail to destruction. You're heading down a trail that has bitterness and darkness at the end. You ha you're heading down a trail with mental and spiritual anguish waiting for you. And in the end, death. 
separation from God, and you see them hit a roadblock on that trail, and you think, yes, this calamity, this tragedy will bring them back, and they don't. And it's heartbreaking. Because idolatry leads us to famine, destruction, bitterness, darkness, internal torment, and death. The wages of sin is death in all of those things that were in those plagues. Hearts remained hardened. It is why we believe in the grace of God, that it is by God's mercy all of our hearts would be hardened, but by the grace of God, but by his mercy. He ransomed us from every tribe and tongue and nation, and he has made us a kingdom and priests to serve him and worship him. We were on a path to destruction, to bitterness, to darkness, to torment. And God freed us. He ransomed us. He's leading us forward in a great exodus. Now we're still in a world run by idols. And like Ephesians 6 says, our, our wrestle is not, our fight is against flesh, is not against flesh and blood but against principalities and powers. So when I say, oh, our world is this place, sometimes people can go, oh, so we need to cloister ourselves off from the world. We need to see people as the enemy, but that's not what's going on. When we say that the world is run by demonic idols, we're just echoing Ephesians 6 that says we need to wrestle against principalities and powers. So what does that mean for you? So this is the world we live in, the shaking of the world, the calamities that are coming, the things that break our hearts, they're leading us to that final judgment. They keep shaking us saying, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. There is coming a day where the kingdom of this world will become the kingdom of our God and of the Lamb, and that should stir up hope in us. So... You need to know your identity in this world. You need to know, Revelation is going to use the term earth dweller. Or I think in this interpretation, in this passage, it says those who dwell on the earth. That's a technical term in Revelation for those who don't belong to Jesus. That they're earth dwellers. They have made their home in this system. They have made their home in a system run by demonic idols. So what's your identity? You're not an earth dweller. You're not one who has made your home in this system. Now, when we say your, your home is not in this world, we aren't saying that you belong uh, in some spiritual realm, in heaven. We're talking about new creation. So like the Exodus, the plagues are coming, but God is preparing the way to take his people into the promised land of new creation, of new heavens and new earth. And you, we need to remember our identity. You're not an earth dweller. You're an earth sojourner. Or you might say you're a new creation dweller or a new earth dweller. That's your home. That's where you belong. And so we take those values of peace and righteousness and justice, and we prophetically tell the world this is the way the world is supposed to be. So when we talk about justice issues, it's not just a side issue. It's because we love Jesus who loves the oppressed and the poor, and the hurting. And in a world run by idols, 
Oppression happens. Hurt happens. Poverty happens. In the new creation, there's no oppression. There's no poverty. All people have their needs met. There is reconciliation that happens. So in our world right now, we aren't earth dwellers. We don't live in this system. We don't stick to the status quo. We say, there's coming a day when this world, when the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdom of God and of the Lamb. So we prophetically say, this is how God wants the world to be ordered, by justice and righteousness and peace. But the most important thing about the world to come is our relationship with God himself. That the th main difference between this world and the next world is a spiritual problem. And that's this world we worship idols. In that world, God will dwell among us. God will be in our midst. And we will know him. And we will know his ways. And we will live in peace and harmony. It is a powerful vision. So when you see the news and you're like, man, this is so bad. May that vision give you hope. May that vision give you peace. Theme of Revelation is we have, to, we have to suffer. We have to follow the lamb who suffered himself, who was slain on a cross, and we follow him in this difficult times. We don't conform, and that's the difficult part because it's so easy to conform. It's so easy to be at home. It's so easy to be an earth dweller. But your identity is not an earth dweller. You're an earth sojourner. And he's leading an exodus. And you are heading towards your home. And the important thing is, you need to be in church. You need to be among God's people so you can learn the ways of this God. Because you're getting a hundred messages from a million different places that's trying to conform you into the pattern of this world. But God is saying there's coming a time where there will be a final shaking. Each calamity shakes. Our politics don't work. Our social society doesn't work. We don't work. Things are not working rightly because we have left our God. But now we have come to our God and we can live in hope. We can reject our idols and we can follow the lamb into the new creation. He is leading us in an exodus. He has redeemed us from all the darkness in our world. And you personally are supposed to grow into that new identity. You're supposed to see the world correctly for what it is so you don't need to be conformed. You don't need to follow what the world says about sex, money, and power. But you need to follow what the Lamb says. We need to dig into the scriptures. We need to personally be reading that because how can we know who this God is and how he has called us to live. How can we know what the new creation is like, what this God values, what he cares about, unless we know him in the Bible? This is important because we cannot conform. We cannot stick to the status quo because that path is led by demonic idols that lead us to destruction and calamity and famine and pain and torment passage is not one of your uplifting passages, but it is all over the Bible. Passages like this that say, judgment is coming, but thanks be to God who has ransomed us, and he has made us a kingdom and priests. Let's pray.
Our Father in heaven, thank you for your great love for us. May we be passionate for your love, for the hope of your kingdom. May we pray each day, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We long for that prayer. And just as these plagues come from our prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done. And then the final time where your kingdom will come, we pray for that day to come. We pray that we live lives in alignment with your kingdom and not with this world. That we don't conform, that we don't stick to the status quo, but we follow you into the new creation. We pray for that day when your kingdom will come fully. We pray for the people we know now that uh, we have shared the gospel with or maybe we're in relationship with. May we speak freely about your good news and that the deliverance you offer, the exodus that you are leading, uh, may we speak those words and may you snatch them from the darkness. May you deliver them from death. May you deliver them from their sins. May they be ransomed from every tribe and tongue and language to worship you and to be a kingdom and priest to our God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.